Michelle, I hate to freak you out, but you got a big oh, spider crawling no. up the wall behind you. No. <laughs> I wasn't going to say no, it, man. I know you wouldn't hurt an animal or Is an insect. Is there actually? But, uh, it's gone. It, was, oh my God, it, was, I'm it actually crawled up the wall. <laughs> I bet you he's on me. Is he? Street talk. Mental health. Street talk. Mental health. Street talk. Mental health. The mind is a terrible thing to waste. You're very welcome along to Straight Talking Mental Health, the weekly podcast where we just talk straight about mental health. It's as simple as that. And uh, the only way to do that is to tackle it head on. Shoot from the hip, call straight it as in, it no is. Kissing. And yeah, there you go, no kissing. And uh, that's pretty much it. My name is Peter Dunn, and this guy here is Alan Clark. Now, you can check out any of the previous episodes where we dig into the likes of anxiety, suicide, self esteem, trauma, sexual abuse, adolescence, loneliness, our in session program, and loads, loads more. You can get us on Facebook as well, you can get us on Twitter. And if you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, straight Talking Podcast at Gmail. Dot com. You can find us on Facebook and find us on Twitter as well. You can follow the hashtag STMH. Alan Clark, what's the crack with you, my dude? All right, man. Back on fucking lockdown. We're in Kildare. We got the plague. We're unclean. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I'm just. Yeah, I'm. I'm just cleaning my monitor as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, man, I'm not that fucking infected. Well, you don't have to wear a bell around your neck for Christ's sake. Take it <laughs> unclean, off. Unclean. Unclean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pain in the arse. A lot of. Um, a lot of pissed off people in the in the town. Um, I can't speak for the county, obviously, but mm. what I see in the town and you know, people on Facebook and stuff like that, people very pissed off because obviously uh, the chilling company, the meat factory in the town here, has been uh, one of the largest contributors to the to the spike in the numbers. Um, so a lot of pissed off people. Um, Understandably so. You know, especially for the people who've been doing everything right. They've been yeah, washing yeah, their hands and yeah, social yeah. distancing, they've been wearing the masks, they've been doing everything yeah. you can do, and then to be told, nah, go back. Yeah. Well, at least it's not going back to where you were. Yeah, it's yeah. It's not like yeah. phase one or phase yeah. two around them. But, you know, the, the reality of it is, also, like, someone needs to be fucking held accountable for this, like, you know, because, um, look, rumours, speculation, xenophobia, whatever it may be. But the, the talk in the town is that um, the workers down to Chillin have been taking Panadol or Paracetamol to lower their temperature. Mm. So when their temperature scanned going in, obviously they're not showing as, as, as registering with a, with a high temperature. So, I mean, if that's the case, you know, someone needs to be fucking held accountable for that. Someone needs to be charged with reckless endangerment of knowingly going in. And then people will say, yeah, but, you know, they're not getting paid. They're not, you know, da, 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 they're not getting sick pay. Like well, everyone in the country has been like that. Um, or if it's if it's the factory themselves, if they're if they're being duplicitous, or you know they're doing something like someone needs to be someone needs to be held. But then again, I'm hearing stories as well about people who have been coming back into the country after visiting family, mm. and then uh, going to their employer and saying, "I'm going to isolate for 14 days," and being told mm. by the employer, "No, it's fine, come in." Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, so the, the employer needs to be held accountable mm. for that. You know, someone someone's responsible for this, and this this is the problem: is that no one no one is kind of held. To go, oh well, it just is. It's like no, 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 no it isn't just is. This, the book stops somewhere, and whether that's the worker, whether that's the manager, whether that's the owner, someone has to be held responsible. You know, the government were told months ago about the meat factories and you know stuff like that, and they did nothing about it. So, someone someone needs to be held responsible mm. because. You know, like that. Yeah, you're grand. Everyone's every, every the majority of people are doing everything right, and 
lot of fucking pissed off people, man. A lot mm. of pissed off people. I feel it myself, you know, cancellation after cancellation of work and it's uh, it's just a pain in the bollocks, <laughs> to be honest. I find it unusual that you're getting a lot of cancellations because I'd imagine this is a time where people would need it the most. Nah, that's the anxiety, man. It's the same when the first lockdown, as soon as that announcement was made. Many people oh, have a cough, oh, not feeling well. Uh, oh, I think it's just... Uh, the anxiety levels tend to go through the roof and mm. obviously anxiety then leads to avoidance. When you say avoidance, avoidance of social contact. Avoidance, avoidance of, of anything that might be a, a source of anxiety. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, the, all all um, all precautions are taken down the office, hand sanitizers everywhere, you know. Mm. You know, there's uh, social distance. But look, if people are, if people are unwell, then obviously that's, that's no problem. But... It's just interesting that, you know, whenever there's a, uh, an announcement, people start to feel unwell. You know, the, the psychological impact of it. That, you know, as soon as those announcements are made, you start to see people, oh, I've got a sore throat or I've got a tickly cough or, you know, it's just, it's interesting how the, the anxiety can trigger um, those things. And obviously everyone starts to second guess and you're like, oh, Jesus, have I got a temperature? Have I, oh, is it, oh, have I got a dry throat or have I got the, have I got mm. the Rona? Like? <laughs> the announcement was made on Friday mm. and I was working in Tullamore on Saturday and had people saying to me, oh, you want to be careful down there? You want to mm. be careful? Just mm. get straight in and straight out. 24 mm. hours ago, <laughs> it was fine. <laughs> Government know, makes mad. announcement and it's, it's like, mad. ah, disease, yeah, yeah. disease. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just that... Um, but you can still fly in and out of the country, but you can't come to Kildare. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure, awfully, obviously. That was a pain in the bollocks, man. An absolute yeah. pain in the bollocks. Mm. You know, so the whole thing has been so badly handled. You know, like that. So, oh, yeah, you can't go to Kildare. Right, but come on in from America there. Come on in from anywhere else in the world, like... We'll take in. Yeah, self-isolate, don't self-isolate. Yeah. Be nobody to check you. Sign this form at the airport, don't sign it, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's annoying. And look, my heart goes out to people in Lee Shoffley and Kildare because... Yeah, seen, you know, seen one client was telling me about uh, one person that's due to get married the next day. Nope, hotel cancelled, had to cancel, had to shut down. Mm-hmm. Your wedding fucking planned and then... Yeah. And then you, you, you think that the likes of restaurants and stuff like that, they've all their fresh food ordered in and then you're told, no, tough shit. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Very, very as well badly. as that, like, it... You know, we're, we're been told to staycation and travel around the country and, mm. you know, keep the mm. money here and uh, mm. see this wonderful island of ours. And it is a wonderful island. I mm. absolutely, no, absolutely love it. And you're trying to make plans and you're going... Jesus, will we, will we get away? Like, we're, we're heading away this weekend. Mm, and I'm thinking, mm. will we get away? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, as well as that, uh, one of the guys at Workwood was planning to go on Saturday with the kids. And, uh, of course, he had to cancel. And you have people saying, oh, I'll just chance it anyways. But then you've, you're arriving at a hotel and you go, what's your address? And you say, well, it's Kildare. And they go, no. Out. Yeah, 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 yeah. They can't enforce it the same way as they could the last time, like... Mm. But you've nothing to look forward to. And that has to no. be a real strain on your mental health. Yeah. You know yourself when you have a bad day in work or you're yeah, feeling yeah, like yeah. crap or whatever. You're trying to get stuff yeah. sorted. You're getting excited about something. Mm. You can't mm. because you don't know if it's going to be there or not. Yeah. Speaking speaking of bad days in work, it's a fucking whore of a day there on Friday. <laughs> you mentioned uh, you're running with a builder uh, parking in your driveway. Oh, yeah. Well, before uh, we uh, recorded this, I was giving out that the builder parked in my driveway. 
Yeah. Yeah. It, Friday, Friday morning, I was getting ready for work, went out to the car. No, I went down to uh, Castlecombe or Discovery Park on Thursday with James. Have you been down there? No. Oh, it's a cool spot, man. Great little, uh, great job for the kids. I have this Toy Story tour where you're given a map and you're given all these clues and you walk around the woods and you have to find the, the characters and stuff like that. It's, it's brilliant. It's very, very, very good. Highly yeah. recommend it. But I came out to the car Friday morning, fucking huge scratch on the on the back door of the car. The new car? I was, yeah, oh, the new boy. car, yeah. I was like, you absolute bastard. So I was like a briar when I seen that. Come in, couldn't find me mask. Uh, rushing what was down it, to do work. you think? Was it vandalism or was it... I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. But it's, Something uh, backed uh, into you. Yeah, no, it was a big scratch on the on the back on the back passenger side door. Um, so it's a nasty fucking scratch. Um so it was like a briar then couldn't find me mask went down to work there's roadworks outside my office they're, they're knocking on the wall their roadworks have been going on there for the last few weeks so I pulled down to, uh, had to drive down to the office because I was bringing James back and um, Biller says oh you can't go up there I says I'm literally just going to Chalk Arder literally just around the corner there no no you can't you can't go in you can't go in I said, what am I supposed to do? He says, I'm after turning 10 people away there this morning. I said, I said, that's all well and good. He said, but those 10 fucking people don't pay the rent for an office that I can't get into. No, I have to park somewhere else. So I was like, right. So I parked somewhere else, walked up to the office. Already I'm like a briar because my fucking car scratched, couldn't find my mask. Mm. Get into the office. And I said to the guards, I said, there's free parking down there to see why, isn't it? Oh, no, no, you have to pay there. Oh, for fuck's sake. So just as I said, right, I may leg it down here, put a ticket on the car. Just as I'm uh, walking, running down to the car, my, my client pulls in. I'm like, what the fuck? Pulls into the into the office, I like, pulls in at the into the ground. Hmm. And I said to your man, the builders out there goes, you know that's the same fucking place. You wouldn't let me pull into two minutes ago. Oh sure, sure, park wherever you want. I said, look, <laughs> I said, all I just need to know can we park it or we can't park it? Oh go on, go on. Right down into the car, down in. So I was in work then and I was fucking, I was pissed off at your man. I was like, how how come he can go in? How? I was like, this is fucking ridiculous. Like, So I was like, I was like, like a whore anyway. Um, and I pulled out and I had a couple of clients that morning and I was coming out anyway. I was like, look, don't be a prick. You know, go out. So I went out and I apologised to your man and I said, look, I said, look, I didn't mean to snap at you earlier, but I said, we're coming down here. We're not being told when we can park, when we can't park, when you'll be able to get onto the grounds, when you won't be able to get onto the grounds. I'm like, oh, just no, no. And you could see your man was actually surprised that I came up and I apologised. Hmm. Um, and, oh, just no, no, we're, we're, all, we're all under a bit of pressure. I said, look, I didn't mean to, didn't mean to snap at you. So, you know, but, but what it made me realise, and, and the point of the fucking ramble, <laughs> apart from the rant, is, and, and I see it in couples, the whole thing, you need to communicate. If you just communicate, things will be so much different. Like if the builders are going to come, look, lads, you won't be able to get in there on Thursday. Grant, no water. We can make plans. I know the park off site. But you're going down there. You can, you can, you can, you can't. Mm-hmm. You're being told you can. The next car that drives in can. You know, yeah. if, if you just communicate, if people know, if people have the information, then they can do something about it. Mm. But if you don't communicate it to people, yeah. you're going to piss people off. If you don't tell your missus or if you don't tell himself what you're up to or what the plans are or how you're feeling or what, I, what I'd always say to clients is if you don't tell them that's on you if you tell them and they do nothing then that's on them mm. but you have to give them the information as somebody who worked on the roads for a little bit and did road design and was out in schemes I can probably give you an idea what happened to that guy mm. somebody told him 
Here, don't let anyone park in there. Mm-hmm. Well, what am I supposed to? Just tell them not to park. Grand, grand, grand. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. not allowed to. You're not allowed to. Why, why? No, no, you're not allowed. You're not allowed to. Mm. What are you doing? Tell them not to park in there. She fucking told me not to. Do. I didn't tell you. Oh, fucking. <laughs> Honestly, like communication on building sites. Is oh yeah, sure. Fucking worst. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? It really yeah. is. And you probably this poor lug. It. And like when you hear some of the shit that's said on building sites, oh yeah, oh like yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> some of the names you'd be called, mm. some of the insults and things thrown mm. at you, and that's only by the people who work with you. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know yeah. what I mean. And that, so, that, that's why I wanted to apologise. Yeah, no you know, I just thought, well, look, don't don't be a prick. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. apologise. I don't want to have him. Don't want him having a bad day. You know, I, I'm starting off. I'm having a bad day. He's having a bad day, taking it out in each other. So, but you can actually see. I could see the shock on his face when mm. I when I apologise. It's like this is a man that is not used to being apologised. Yeah. <laughs> but now, fair play to you. It, it takes a bigger man to go over and go. Look, I was a bit of an arsehole earlier. I'm really sorry mm. about it. And no, I wasn't shouting at him. though I wasn't. But I was a bit. I was a bit snappy. With you were narky. Okay, yeah, yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, if you just told me I couldn't park here, this is this is my office. I pay rent. Mm. And the next person driving in, they 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 can they can park here. Yeah, like just a bit of consistency. We can park here, or we can't park here. <laughs> we used to get abuse thrown at us when we were working on the roads, and you'd have people who you'd be in like a, a temporary traffic scheme. So you know you'd be stopped at the temporary mm-hmm. lights, and mm-hmm. people would be shooting through them and everything, and cars would be coming mm-hmm. the other way, and that people just don't give a damn. But no. then again, you've guys who drive past and they'll slow down, they'll roll down the window and go, "Time for tea, boys." Yeah, ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. And then you, you useless pack of fuckers. There's a mm-hmm. speed limit down there going into around about 100 kilometer an hour what are you going to fucking do about it you know and you're going you're there with a satellite on your back and a GPS system looking to set mm-hmm. out the new curb lines going what do you want me to do drop this and fix it you know what I mean but you know you'd like the public feel that they own part of you so they feel yeah, yeah, to go yeah, and yeah. tell you what you should be doing and how you should be doing it but, oh you were in the county council as well yeah I worked for the county yeah, council yeah, yeah. I actually worked show. for the county council you know I didn't mm-hmm, and I've yeah, seen yeah, guys there like I, I heard great <laughs> stories where you know, there was a guy who um, uh, his two feet were sticking out of a van. It's <laughs> a story with your man. Like, you know, it's two legs hanging out of the side mm. of the van. And uh, the clerk of works who'd be over all mm. the, the mm. outdoor guys said, said, watch this. So he went straight over to him, cocked his leg back, kicked his two feet. Your man was asleep <laughs> in the back of the van. Jesus <laughs> Christ. And I remember at one stage we were working on a scheme in Athlone and uh, there was a guy in a, a little digger and all of a sudden he hops out of the digger and he starts going, who? Go on, go on, go on. We turn the story here two of the boys decided to start wrestling for the crash <laughs> and with the no, these men were probably average mid 50s mm. and a bunch of lads decided to stand around the circle and egg each other on while these two boys wrestled on the ground <laughs> and as soon as soon as there's a, a slight bit of rain the boys are gone oh the yeah, yeah. they're on yeah. the little hut and they have a big generator generators can power mm. anything and mm. they have an extension on the generator, a converter, and it's all plugged into a kettle. And the boys are all waiting inside with their cups of tea, waiting oh, for the priorities. generator. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's out there pulling the cord, making sure it starts up to start the kettle. Mm. <laughs> no word of a Christ. lie. No, uh, some of the stories are... Oh, I believe it. Yeah. I believe it. <laughs> but then again, you've got people, I, I've seen people who go above and beyond to really do their bit and people are yeah, passionate yeah, about yeah. working for the county. Yeah, you know, yeah. safety schemes, new road mm. layouts mm. and that and people are passionate about getting houses for people and that. So, mm. you know, they have a have bad it. name but it's, it's the same as everyone. There's the, people who do their job and there's people who don't. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Exactly, you know. Yeah, a lot yeah, of workplaces yeah. don't have 
no. good communication techniques or yeah, situations yeah. in place where you can communicate and everybody yeah. knows what's going on. You might get an email that's forwarded on to you, but mm. see below and there's like 50,000 emails from different people and you go, I'm, yeah. I have to decipher this, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. but, um, you know, and workplace and mental health is what we're going to talk about later on mm. with uh, mm. Michelle McGuire. So looking forward to that. And uh, it's uh, something that's really, really interesting and something I'm really interested in and the fact that Michelle is a, a veterinary nurse and how vets are affected by their job um, mm. so I'm really looking shocking, forward to that shocking so, statistics for vets and mental health and suicide wow so Michelle mm. is going to join us now in a few minutes and I look mm. forward to chatting to her um, I have a new beef by the way oh yeah yeah my beef hope it's not from the fucking chilling that's probably infected <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's with uh, swimming hats swimming hats alright I got really annoyed with swimming hats there the other day not for any physical reason we went to um, went to Carrick McCross with the kids um, the weekend we stayed in a hotel overnight and uh, we went to swim pool in mm. this hotel and a lovely swim pool but I had to buy a swimming hat and mm. that's fair enough no problem buying mm. a swimming mm. hat and it was only when I bought a swimming hat I noticed why do swimming hats always have the name of the swimming pool, the phone number of the swimming pool, and a message underneath it. Who feels the need to advertise in a swimming pool? Yeah, but seriously, if you buy if you buy one swimming hat, you're probably going to use it wherever you go. So you telling me if I'm in Bantry in Cork <laughs> and I'm in a swimming pool and I'm drowning? And oh, look, I, I, just I wonder guy, where you got that swimming hat. <laughs> I see a guy with a swimming Carry hat. across. Just we've never been there. We must go. We must go up and try out that swimming pool. <laughs> Maybe it's a oh, non-branding swimming pool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it has a message underneath. For swimming lessons, please call. Oh four one. You're drowning. You're struggling for breath, and you're going, buddy, buddy. What's uh, the number? If you had I got what's those swimming lessons up in Carrick McCrash, it might have been all right. There you go. Yeah, and his yeah, head is yeah. bobbing up and down, going, "Sorry, bud. Yeah, I can't I tell, tell you. I tell you what. Um, <laughs> it's just Brandon, man. I tell you what, my beef is with um, the Irish weatherman. I've just, I've really noticed over the last while that my mood is hugely affected by the weather. I wasn't like the, the sun shining at the weekend. I was like, I don't give a fuck about lockdown. Got my shorts on, got mm. my flip flops on, and I've got me working in the garden flip flops, and I've got me going out flip flops. Oh, no. <laughs> you don't You don't wear flip flops going out. Yeah, if I was going down to the shops, around, yeah. Oh, Depending man. on the weather, like yeah, yeah. You are yeah. sold. <laughs> I love it, man. I, I fucking love the sun. I just love feeling the sun on my bones. Mm. Um, but uh, but I'd see it there with Google, so I that kind of smart home kind of set up with the light bulbs and uh, TV and stuff like that so at night time I'll just say okay Google I'm going to bed and it turns off the TV and it turns the light on upstairs mm. and stuff like that and it tells me what's on the what's on the calendar for tomorrow and it'll tell me the weather and you get like tomorrow there will be showers in Calair and just unknowingly I go oh for fuck's sick I'm just fucking sick of the rain and then it's like tomorrow there'll be a high of 24 oh you fucking little dancer like yeah <laughs> just but then at the weekend out I was painting the deck and got the deck and sorted and you know just I was like oh man love this had the music on sun shorts t-shirt flip-flops I was mm. just like oh this I'm built for this I remember we were I think it was the first year we went to Portugal to play for golf so it was it was for my birthday and one of the courses we played, we played early morning, so we play around in the morning, we play around in the afternoon. And one of them was a little bit overcast, a little bit cool, kind of sun hadn't come up. And, and my mate Dom, he fucking hates the sun. Like, he's anything over 10 degrees, he's like, oh, Jesus, too hot. Fuck's sake. It's like, Jesus. <laughs> I'm like, and he goes, oh, that's lovely there now. I said, Dom, if I wanted to play a shite golf and shite weather, I'd just fucking stay at home. 
I said, I want to be able to at least play shite golf in the fucking sun. That's why we're in Portugal. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, but it just made me really conscious of like I just I'm really affected. I'm really affected by the weather. Once mm. the sun is out, I am just fucking in my element, happy out. So my beef is with the Irish weather. <laughs> is that a thing? People who are affected by the weather, mm. like it's seasonal affective disorder. Well. By the weather and the seasons but mm. they've changed the name of that now uh, which used to be a fucking great name because it was sad, sad. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah sounds good uh, <laughs> let me let me look it up here okay uh, status was changed it's no longer classified as a unique mood disorder but is now a specifier called with seasonal pattern so a recurrent major depressive disorder with seasonal pattern so it used to be a thing and it was a fucking great thing that was a great name somebody complained about that yeah yeah that's why some fucking snowflake yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then you've people who are the other way around who hate when the sun comes out because mm, mm. everybody leaves their house. They prefer when it rains and nobody's nobody's yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is that an anxiety thing or is it? Yeah, possibly. Be? Yeah, possibly. Just mm. antisocial. <laughs> antisocial, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not out socialising. I'm just out in the garden. Yeah. I'm happy out, like you know. Yeah. I'll be fucked now once the garden's finished because I'm, I'm nearly there. Don't know what I'm going to do with myself. <laughs> but yeah. the good weather's gone anyway, so. <laughs> Could be heat wave in August. I just heard in the radio. Uh, oh, well, the kids when the kids go back to school, that's guaranteed. Mm. I always get a good week that week. It's been the dullest. <laughs> leave insert. That's true. Leave insert yeah. in first week back. Yeah. It's been the dullest July uh, for a long time. Yeah. Which yeah. makes me think we should call it July. <laughs> no. Delay, delay. Yeah. <laughs> region there, man. You need to get back to fucking lyrics because the same with the beats. Now you've been you, you, Fiona's been getting like your. You know the old the old metaphors and similes like that they haven't been good, man. Yeah, I, yeah, I gotta yeah. tell you, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm, I'm not saying it to hurt you. I'm just saying it to up your fucking game. <laughs> okay, challenge accepted. <laughs> yeah, that's man. I know you can fucking. I know you step up, man. I got you. I got you. I got. I believe in you. I know you can do this shit. <laughs> it has been a dull July. It's been, it's been shit, like. Mm. You know, but then as soon as lockdown was announced, the fucking weather's out blazing again. So I was like, I don't care. I'll take lockdown if we get this weather. Take lockdown with cool weather. Yeah, yeah. Now you have it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So as 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 you know, Peter, recently, um, every time we go to start, I come in with a little bit of a uh, little bit of feedback mm-hmm. Very <laughs> from clients or some, from some correspondence <laughs> we got. Uh, so we had Ida from uh, from Madrid last week, and we got Reese from uh, Wales this week. Oh, lovely. Yeah, yeah. Hey, mate, been tuning into your straight talking mental health. Got to say, it's absolutely fantastic. So, thanks very much. So, oh, listeners brilliant. in Wales and Spain and Wales. London and Japan and <laughs> uh, Mr. Worldwide, I feel like fucking Pitbull. Pitbull. Um, yeah, and uh, funny enough, I got a bit of feedback as well there. I, oh, yeah. Uh, let me see, let me see. Yeah, so um, uh, a mutual friend of ours had uh, passed on a message to a boss of his, or an ex-boss of his, mm. uh, on Instagram, and uh, he said he loves it. He uh, gave us a bit of feedback here, just saying, have a listen now. They're, uh, the two lads have a real good flow going on, very good recommendation, thanks for that. There you go. So it's great to hear mm. that people are recommending mm. us and passing us on. And, you know, like that, if you feel the need to direct somebody to the previous episodes, then yeah, yeah, by yeah. all means do it. They might get something out of it. And yeah. hopefully, hopefully it'll help. That's all we're here to do. We're just here to help. There's, yeah, there's one thing I can promise you, man. You will never know what's going on in someone else's head. Mm. You have no idea who might need this. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you're right. You have no idea how many people are suffering. Mm. Um in silence, you know. Yeah. So just hearing this, it, it could be enough just to open up the up, open up the conversation. 
Yeah, true. I mean, yeah. as us who make the podcast, and I know it from working in radio, where you could make something brilliant mm. and people don't necessarily get back to you and say, that was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Or you could make something really brutal and people mm. wouldn't necessarily come back and say, that was brutal. Mm. They listen passively. Like mm. if you think about the amount of people, like if you listen to radio, or if you listen to music or whatever, how many mm. of those people who you'd follow or listen to on a regular basis, would you actually go to them and go, I love what you're doing. Keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah, Maybe yeah, I yeah. should, yeah. but I wouldn't. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't look to seek somebody out and go, oh, mm. you're brilliant. Mm. Thank you. You know what I mean? Or I don't like, not that I'd go tell somebody I don't like them anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some people would. Um, but it, feel, it feels good, man, you know. It feels yeah. good to tell someone, geez, you did a great job there. Or, and you can see the change in them. Oh, Jesus, thanks very much. I Absolutely. mean, it feels good for us to, to, yeah, to get yeah. the feedback, you know. And you uh, you just never know the difference you're making in other people's yeah. lives. You yeah. never, never know that. Yeah. You know? And I can uh, tell you yeah. that from sitting in that chair, listening to those countless stories, I'm telling you. You yeah. never know what's going on with people. True indeed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because they're the people that, that you know, yeah, if you've seen them on the outside, they have their shit together. They've got this perfect this perfect life, what looks like a perfect life, but mm. nah. Yeah. Oh, bollocks, man. They're, they're suffering. So that, that was that was the feedback from Wales anyway, man. Um, where, where, else are, where else are people listening to us like? Well, I think it's, it's, it, it's absolutely unreal. I just had a look here of, uh, we, can, we can get a breakdown from uh, anywhere in the world where anybody listens to our podcast. And number one is Ireland by mm-hmm. uh, Country Mile, uh, yeah. which is amazing. And then in second is the United States. Oh, the and states then, are back, are they? Yeah, all states are well oh, on top. Yeah. yeah, UK have slipped into third. And then after that, you're looking at Australia, Germany, Canada, Norway, India, Peru, Colombia, New Zealand, Denmark, Spain, Finland, Mexico, Singapore, Portugal, <laughs> Switzerland, Brazil, the Netherlands, South Africa, Panama, Sweden, Italy, Iceland, Indonesia, France, Austria, Belgium, Bulgaria, Czech Republic, Israel, Malaysia, Philippines, Romania. <sighs> And what looks like a load of people using a VPN where we can't tell where they're listening from. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to go. And Mullingar. <laughs> <laughs> the best place in the world, Mullingar. Yeah. Crazy, man. Crazy. It's crazy. unreal. But yeah. big shout out to UK, anybody. you need to up your game, fam. You know, yeah, the, the, you, need to you get can't cheer. be letting the Yanks get yeah. you know, you, you, you took them over there now, but. <laughs> yeah, I think the Yanks are struggling with the mental health dealing with fucking Trump and yeah. the gibberish coming out of his mouth so they're like oh shit <laughs> and the, yeah and the UK are dealing with Johnson so yeah yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and we're happy we can help <laughs> 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 I'm sure you can all relate to uh, some fucking builder parking in your driveway <laughs> now you have it yeah <laughs> and swimming caps <laughs> he's still there he's still there he's still outside Dickhead. I'm gonna I'm gonna get on to him I'm gonna roar and then I'm gonna go back and apologise then I'm gonna apologise yeah, yeah yeah sorry man so I didn't mean to Right, so we're delighted to join on the podcast right now is Michelle Maguire from Vet Space Ireland. She is also in charge of the Vet Space Ireland podcast. Michelle, you're very welcome along. Thank you so much, Peter. Thanks for asking me to come. No problem whatsoever. So, when Alan suggested we talk about the impact that work has on your mental health, and he suggested a vet, I thought, what? A vet? You kidding me? And funny enough, when I've said this to other people, their reaction was the exact same. Like a vet. How would a vet struggle with their mental health? Yeah, I guess, you know, there are many, many factors that probably contribute to it. Mm. Um, And I've been discussing this a while. I guess I have worked in the veterinary industry for a long time now, about 15 or 16 years. And last year I had my own mental health struggles. You know, I was really unwell for a while. 
And when I came back to work, at the time I was working as a rep for a veterinary drug company. And when I came back to work, like I find it really hard to lie. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just, <laughs> it's just not uh, in me. Like yeah. I just can't do it. Like I can't hold well, You're in the right place. It's if I were like, straight yeah. talking, Michelle. <laughs> so I find it really hard to lie. So when I came back to work and I was like meeting a lot of my clients who are vet, veterinary practitioners and obviously owners of vets and they're like, oh, you were off for a long time. Are you okay? And I was like, look, the long and short of it is I had a bit of a nervous breakdown, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I was so surprised the amount of people then, I suppose, I guess when you're being honest with people, then how they come back and they were like, Jesus, you know, me too. And I said, look, mm-hmm. there was a lot going on. It was a really shit year and I couldn't eat and I couldn't sleep. And I ignored it for a really long time. And I said, so, you know, lesson learned, don't be me. And then it was so interesting how so many of them said to me, the very same thing happened to me last year and you know I, yeah I, I kind of came across the same thing Michelle, around uh, the statistics and stuff like that but I did, I did find a couple of articles uh, and it seems to be fairly consistent that uh, vets have um, suicide rate kind of four times greater than the public yeah well they, they do say that you know um, vets are four times more likely yeah to die by suicide than the general mm. public and I, I guess if we look at why why is that, there, there could be many reasons, you know, for the suicide thing as well. And I guess mm. if you look at that mm. as the end of something. Mm. Um, but having spoken to a lot of co- my colleagues, and I've kind of been discussing this since January, you know, like um, mental health within the profession and discussing mm. it with lots of vets and nurses and all veterinary professionals. Um, it seems that there are different factors that affect the different types of vet almost, you know what I mean? So you have mm. large animal vets, which um, Hazel, who is my partner in Vet Space mm. Crime, she is a large animal vet. So they have huge so pressures. that'd be people out on the farm and stuff like that. Yeah, so yeah, she yeah. she's a farm vet. So she's yeah. in the springtime from January till May, like mm. they're really busy. They work really long hours and they're yeah. on their own yeah. in their van. Do you know what I mean? Driving mm. out, calving cows is really physical. It's exhausting. Mm. You know, there's so many... Um, you know, there's just a lot of that for them. And then with the small animal people and their companion animal vets, so they have a huge caseload as well. And um, one of the things I find, I found as a nurse years ago when I was in, working in practice with the small animal, I was predominantly an equine nurse, but I did do a little bit of small animal. And I found dealing with the public really difficult yeah, because yeah. what what you find is, the general population and like I not to generalize okay because obviously mm, yeah. I know I didn't just say the general population yeah yeah I guess not to general yeah that's all right the majority you're not talking of, about Sharon and fucking Cole yeah like the, <laughs> the majority of people are very good and they do really look after their pets yeah. however that said people don't educate themselves on what is healthy for their pet mm, so mm. um and a lot of times they think that, oh, vets are just saying he needs this, that and the other. And it can be really heartbreaking when yeah. you see animals come in and they are chewing and biting at their paws. And you say to the owner, oh, he's chewing and biting at his paws all the time. And they go, oh, yeah, but he's always done that. And you're like, yes, but that's not an, that's an abnormal behavior. You know, it's yeah. like skin disease or it's really itchy. Like imagine having yeah. to bite your fingers that you're so mm-hmm. itchy. Yeah. Or they've got other things. And so you may identify, they might come in for one thing and you may identify something else, which is really, really really uncomfortable for the animal and you'll go through it all with the owner and then they will decide not to treat and that is really heartbreaking you know because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day the owner is is 
you know, they have the final say and, you know, you've got to turn around and say, okay, well, I've done all that work for nothing and the animal still isn't 100% yeah. right. Does that Owners- change your perception then of the public a little bit, Michelle? Well, I mean, I kind of have to distance myself from it because, mm. you know, like even recently with my new housemate, we were discussing it. You know, I found that I couldn't like my mental health wouldn't be able for that role now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I yeah. couldn't work in that. I mean, I, I just couldn't do it because I take those things on far too much um, and I would just get angry and frustrated and, yeah. you know. And I, I do think that there needs to be a lot of education in the public about pet ownership. Like you can't, you can't just go and buy a dog. And especially mm-hmm. at the moment, people are gone crazy buying dogs. And, you know, and they're buying all these mental breeds like pugs and bulldogs mm-hmm. that yeah. are so they're badly deformed. bred. And they can't yeah. breed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. And that's it. And you see, like, I see it online all the time. People posting these, like, what they think are cute pictures of their mm. bulldog mm. sleeping, lying back or lying in mm. an awkward position. And they're like, oh, isn't this so funny? And I'm like, well, no, like, your dog is so oxygen starved. That's the only way he can wow. sleep. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Um, but again, they just don't know. So I suppose it's, you know, it's education. So that causes a huge frustration. So, I mean, I think for, you know, for vets there, you know, they're, they have a job to do, but definitely it has to have a huge impact putting animals to sleep. You know, mm. I couldn't. Well, yeah, that was going to be my next question. Of, I obviously, mean, you get into it to, because I, I yeah. assume you love animals, <laughs> Yeah. you yeah. know, and to have to be faced with that. What, what about situations, Michelle, of, let's say, with small, small animals, you're going to be dealing with owners and stuff like that. Like, you know, perhaps for, for farmers, it's just, it's a product. It's money, yeah. Yeah, whereas... Yeah. Per, Perhaps with with small animals, you know, you're you're dealing with a family pet. Mm. Yeah, and let's let's say, members. as you said, the, the, the people aren't looking after the dog. We'll say um, the dog requires a large procedure. They can't afford to do it. I mean, what what's that situation like? Well, anytime you have that an animal has to be euthanized, it's horrendous. But I mean, especially in situations where maybe, I mean, I think that I hope that that's rarer. You know, than you know where they have to euthanize over treat. Um, mm. Thankfully, you know, veterinary medicine is very advanced. So, we, you know, there are usually, unless it's massive, you know, breaks where they need huge orthopedic surgeries and stuff like that, you know, there's lots of treatments that you can maybe do or provide. Mm. But, yeah, it's, it, it's very traumatic. Like, I think, I don't know how the vets do it, to be honest, because I was never assisted in euthanasia where it didn't very much upset me and I mm, never got mm. used to it mm. um, and that's another indication as to why I maybe was not in the right job and why I'm no longer working as a nurse mm. um, but yeah it's you know putting animals to sleep it has to have a huge impact and you know something I was reading about recently you know was um, you know compassion fatigue mm, and I actually mm. kind of struggled to find a definitive definition if you know what I mean there seems to be lots of emotional burnout or compassion I think it's emotional burnout because you're you're um you are being exposed to so much trauma and Mm. things like that yourself but if you're not the victim of the trauma yeah it'd be very very common in therapy a lot of therapists would suffer from emotional yeah they say healthcare professionals all healthcare professionals and veterinary professionals suffer high levels of it so I was really interested when I read some of the studies that were carried out in the states and um in the UK where that was listed as really really high and Mm. you know it's 
it's like a secondary post-traumatic syndrome almost. Yeah, yeah. People, you know, develop this almost lack of empathy because of it. Um, mm. So if, you know, I'm not the therapist you are, but it can obviously manifest itself in so many ways. And then that will lead to so many other issues in a profession where yeah, your job yeah. is to care. But they say that, um, I did read that a lot of healthcare professionals, therapists and nurses mm. yeah, yeah, are yeah, really yeah. high yeah. to suffer from it. Yeah. Mm. Does it desensitize you, Michelle? I think, yeah, I think that's, I suppose maybe the point I was trying to make there is I think you have to be able to desensitize yourself or you wouldn't be able to do your job. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, same, same as doctors. I mean, who do, who do you want doing the surgery? Yeah. Do you want the fucking uh, steel-like guy with the God complex or do you want someone that's going to get very emotional? And yeah. Say, no, mm. give me the fucking do with the God complex. That's that's yeah. what I want, cutting me up. He's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I mean, I've had it done. Cut me back up and did to do. Took, took the tumour out and then he comes back and he's looking at his work and he's looking at the stitch and goes, yeah, I like that now. That looks good. I like that. I, like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the guy I want. You yeah. know, the same, yeah. same with a vet. You, know, you want someone that can just get the job done and isn't going to yeah. crumble under the pressure. And that's it. And I mean, some of the, the I, I watched a show there ages ago. My mum said it to me and it was like an Australian talk show, we'll say, and there was a lady on who I think she was a vet and a relation of hers or a colleague of hers had died by suicide anyway, was also a vet. And she was kind of advocating for, um, I guess, in order for a candidate to become a vet, you have to excel academically. So Mm. you have to be incredibly, um, you know, successful academically. So it is like, so you have to be a really, really high achiever. And I suppose the nature of that as a personality you know, probably doesn't lend itself very well to someone who deals well with failure and and things Mm -hmm. like that. So this lady's point was, you know, you know, in order to better get candidates as vets, that they should be, you know, a more varied um, application system and more personality should be mm. taken into it. I've Not heard just that before. Achievement. That yeah, yeah like, even for doctors, for GPs, yeah. there should be like an aptitude test. A, a minimum, let's say, four hundred points on leaving cert. An aptitude test. So you know yourself, like. You have some doctors who you can talk to and they go, yeah, well, look, we found a tumour here and we can remove it and blah, 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 and that's it. While others will have empathy and they'll be able to tell you properly. You know, like they'll be able to feel the emotion. Yeah. You know, they'll be able to talk to you like a human being as opposed to a product that's come into them that needs to be yeah. fixed and sent back out again. You're saying the yeah. same thing for for Well, uh, I mean, it's vet. the same. Like, if, if, you're, if you're that, you know, if you have to be so high academically achieving, you know, by virtue of that, you're going to be a perfectionist and, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so that in itself. That's something that, that would have resonated with you, Michelle. You don't. Well, I am a bit like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah. I'm a bit OCD. Like I'm very self-aware. So I'm aware of all my issues. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think the older you get um, and the more you try and, you know, don't let them affect you like you you know what you can and can't do I suppose mm. when I was younger things sort of you know I've, I've been in situations where I was working in practice that emotionally traumatized me you know and I just thought Jesus I can't do this you know um, any particular it, example but, that, that comes to mind when you think of that uh, I couldn't really say All right, yeah, to be honest no problem. That's um, no problem. unfortunately I couldn't say but like 
yeah, things that just, you know, it's just sad. And again, it's, it's, it comes down to that burnout and that overwork and you're working so hard to save something's life, you know? Yeah. And, um, especially, you know, if you're working in intensive, like years ago when I was quite young and I used to do, uh, worked for, when I worked in Troy Town and I did um, the neonatal intensive care unit. So that is really intensive. So they need treatment. Like, so it's every hour, this, you're doing this, you're giving fluids, you're feeding, you're turning, you're medicating. So it is intensive care. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I could spend all day there and then you go home and someone else come in on the night shift and then you come in the next day and the bloody thing would have died overnight, you know, mm-hmm. and you'd be like... <laughs> Yeah. like yeah. you know like all your plots and you thought because you might be like you'd know the ones you're like right this one it's 50 50 now it's gonna make it mm-hmm. but there was always the one that you thought was doing really well and you know that didn't make it in the end and you're just like mm-hmm. you know you were kind of glad in one sense because you could go home and get an hour's kip but like <laughs> um i'm not wouldn't be academic enough to ever be a vet but mm-hmm. um i also know that i don't have the personality for it you know, I learned that very quickly when I became a nurse. I am my personality. What, what personality was definitely more do you think suited. does lend itself to it, Michelle? If it's not um, you, what what would you say? Obviously, dealing with vets and stuff like that. What I is think, the, I think the people, you know, the majority of the people who are, you know, vets are very good at it. Like you have to be able to. I think the majority of vets are able to consciously push aside the emotional things in order to. You know, they have to say, right, I've got to do this, this and this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, to, in order to save the animal's life, basically, we have to make sure mm-hmm. the kidneys, the liver, the heart, the lungs are all working. Do you know what I mean? So when you're mm-hmm. focusing on different things, it's kind of easier to maybe not look at the overall picture. But mm-hmm. I think, and something that was probably mentioned in some of the studies I read, you know, it's the subconscious constants of that. It's all, like even now with COVID and people say, oh, you're stressed out. You know, like, ah, it's not really bothering me, but it's subconsciously really bothering everyone because yeah, yeah. everywhere we go, it's like, put your mask on or you'll die. Or, you know, mm, so you eventually it. it's like the COVID app, you know, it's just sitting there in your phone, but it's really destroying the bollocks out of your battery. You don't realize it. It's running in the background. Yeah, it's just sitting yeah. there, this little yellow button, but you don't realize yeah. it's making shit of your phone. You know, yeah. the same thing. You worked at Queen, Michelle. Uh, I mean, yeah. you're dealing with the horse racing industry. A lot of pressure. Horses worked up to half a million, quarter of a million, and, and anywhere yeah, and make I up think a number. Like and that's to not me, just a farmer always, with a calf. <laughs> I mean, I, I felt that that was easier. Now, and this might just be my opinion because okay. in the racing side of things, you know, the, the value of the animals is really high. Okay, so we appreciate that. But that also means that you have unlimited resources in order to treat, if you know what I mean. Okay. Oh, yeah. Whereas yeah, yeah. a farmer, although mm. his cow is not potentially worth half a million or, you know, a couple of million. It's, it's a relative um, cost to him and whether he yes, has the money to pay for it. Same absolutely. as the family with the small dog that might need That's it. Know, the so operation or something. Yeah. may only have that cow's output, you know, is or value of output is so much and he you know there are certain things that she's going to become afflicted with that Mm. it's Mm. just you you wouldn't treat you know what I mean so um I think from that point of view it was nearly it was probably a bit better I never felt the pressure because I was lucky to work in you know in a referral practice where we had Mm. the best of everything you know it was um 
gold standard and you had you were able to provide you know there are times where there were emergency things like colics and you can't save them because they're you mm. know it's impossible but mm. um no i felt i didn't feel the pressure of that i thought it was actually made it easier because you had unlimited resources you could just run bloods if you needed yeah, to yeah. Wow, yeah. you know what i mean yeah, yeah. um <clears throat> because you, you just you just did it um you could just take as many x-rays as you liked for such big animals they are very very delicate they're very know. delicate and they're, they're right treated, horses especially, in yeah. veterinary they're treated completely differently I mean, you would never you could never treat a horse the same way as you would a cow um yeah you know that like there's no am i right in thinking there's no marabone they break a leg, that's it. There's no healing of the bone or anything like that. No, no, if they break legs, they can heal, yeah. Oh, yeah. can they? Okay. Yeah, they can right. have surgery, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they might, their racing career might be over, but mm. they can live and walk around and... Stick them out to stud. That's what yeah. I'm living for. I'm just waiting to be put out to stud. <laughs> <laughs> um, mm. But one of the really kind of concerning things that I came across in all the research I've been doing over the last six months is... Uh, and it kind of stood out across all the, and again, you know, it's unfortunate we have no information for Ireland, was that the majority, like over 50% of the vets and nurses in practice who were reporting mental health issues or suicidal ideation weren't receiving any medical treatment. Or, mm, mm. You know, so, and why is that? Is there a stigma, particularly amongst vets, <clears throat> that they won't talk about their mental health issues or... I don't think it's so much that there's a stigma amongst, I think it's, it's the same stigma that exists for everyone, um, mm. for the general population when it comes to mental health. But I think, again, it probably comes to the fact, um, you know, that generally vets and, nur- and nurses are, you know, high achievers and you, they just are used to being the person who's responsible, certainly the vets, like they are in charge of everyone in that situation. So mm. it's very hard to then say, step back from that and say, I'm the one with the problem. Okay, yeah. I guess. So, um, but again, this is just all um, speculated from the articles that, you know, these are based on it. So I think in Ireland, you know, Hazel and I are trying to do our little bit by creating Vet Space, which is hopefully a community. And the idea is that we're just more aware and this talking and like we did new grad month because that can be the most stressful time for a vet. Um, you know, so it's like, this is the support. This is what other people went through. There's other people out there. You don't have to take it all on board yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe if there's a bit more of a support system within the community, they might stay in the profession mm-hmm. and hopefully not suffer as much anxiety and depression and stress. From your experience, Michelle, do vets become vets because it's kind of passed down from generation to generation? Is it a family thing or... The fact that they've grown up on farms and is it something that's nearly pushed upon them? Um, I don't really think so anymore. I think okay. it's probably like a generation ago, you know, it would have been. Um, okay. I don't, I think maybe our generation that's probably changed a bit, but it certainly is. Um, it definitely would follow that trend. I mean, you can't be what you don't see, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so definitely... I'm robbing that one, Michelle. Flat out. There are, there <laughs> are. Vets, um, there, I got that from um, Natalie Pinkham on the Formula One channel. Oh, really? She was talking about <laughs> Michelle. The, Michelle's a big Formula One fan. Yeah. Oh, very good. Ta- she was talking about uh, you know the way they have that girl, that young girls program to get young, yeah, 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 female drivers. Yeah, 
Yeah. She's like, and there's no other females in Formula One. You know, there's yeah, no engineers. Yeah. No one, no mm. woman changes the tire. She's like, you can't be what you can't see. But it's the yeah, same. Brilliant. So, brilliant. yeah. Um, in this in this uh, context, it's it's kind of the same, I suppose. So if you grow up in a family who doesn't have anything with animals, you know, but maybe you like them, mm. um, but you just would never think of a vet. So you're like, oh, I want to do yeah, this. Yeah. Um, so on the radar. Yeah. So it would follow suit that you know a lot of farmers' kids would maybe grow up to become vets. You know, because that's what they're used to. And they they were used to seeing the vet come onto the farm at home. Yeah. Um, mm. But yeah, there would be a certain amount of that, but definitely not as much. Yeah. What I was getting at there was, you know, if there's a bit of pressure from family to go into a certain profession, if there is a high suicide rate, I was just thinking like, is it the case that they don't want to tell the parents they don't want, don't want to do this anymore? And there is a bit of a, a shame among the family of somebody who didn't want to do this anymore and they've been kind of forced into it, you know? Yeah, well, I'd say that that probably, if it is the case, would be the same as it would be for, you know, for anything. Mm. If a family are, you know, invested in a certain profession. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, like doctors or, you know, if mum and dad were both solicitors. Exactly. And, yeah, yeah, and then that. you yeah. became a solicitor and then you're like, actually, I really hate this. Yeah. You know, there's probably the same, you know, the same pressure there. So, yeah. I mean, again, we can only, you know, talk about the potential things that exasperate it course, um, yeah. and add to it. So it could be, you know, it's not something I've encountered. Yeah. Um, and what are the other factors? I mean, we were talking about suicide, but what else contributes to poor mental health among vets? Um. So I guess like I put a little, like I, you know, I've been re- researching this for a while Um. But I did put a, a little question box on our own Instagram story the other day just to get some feedback um, from the vets and nurses in practice. And it was really along the same thing, being underappreciated and underpaid. Um, you know, some were <clears throat> some said friends outside the profession who don't really understand and they don't want to hear about the sad cases. So mm. there's very little opportunity to talk or discuss it. Client complaints and difficult clients, you know, so we discussed, you know, the difficulty with keeping owners happy, um, lack of support from management and colleagues, rude, unappreciative clients, demanding workload, out to um, too few staff. And I think that's a big issue as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the overheads in the veterinary practice are massive. And, you know, people think that when you go to your vet, they're always trying to rob you. Like, they're just asking to be paid for the appropriate mm. care that they're yeah, providing, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, and, you know, so that's often they don't, they may be understaffed, you know, they probably could operate more efficiently and comfortably with two more people, but you know, that's not in the, in the budget. And then there's a few more emotional fatigue again, you know, overworked, um, negative comments and views of the pet owning public so again you know yeah and um, i think that definitely the for the companion animal vets the public you know do pay a big a big part in it and have mm. you know if you could just treat the animal that comes yeah, in yeah. and treat it's like me working with working with you, the kids it's like, just let me treat the kids. Yeah. Fuck off, parents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I bet it's the very same. Yeah, it's the yeah, very yeah. same. Yeah. So it's like, oh, but your Molly's always been like that. And it's like, yeah, Molly is having a stage five fit. 
Uh, that's <laughs> yeah. not normal. That could be Molly the child or Molly like the cook. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't mean that it that Molly is any healthier. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I'd imagine it would take a big toll on you as well if you get a call to go out to a farm and you see like neglected horses and neglected cows and sheep and um, like puppy farms as well. That has to take a toll on you because... As Alan was saying earlier, you obviously get into veterinary because you love animals, but you don't become a doctor because you love people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, I suppose. Do you get into veterinary because you love animals? Yeah, probably. Yeah, well, well, let's um, let's go back. Why did you get into veterinary? So, uh, I'm not a good candidate for this question because I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Right. And I still mm-hmm. don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, Welcome to the club. So I I went off and did my veterinary nurse course uh, whilst I was deciding what it was going to be for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? Don't make anything uh, too easy anyway. Yeah. Some people work in Tesco's, you know? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, you couldn't take a job in pennies, no? (laughs) No, but in fairness, in my defense, it was easier then to become a veterinary nurse than it is now. You know, the rules have changed and it, Mm. it was easier then. Uh, I'm not saying the job is easier, but, you know, you didn't have to go to UCD and do a degree. You know what I mean? Like you do now. Um, but, yeah, I was still deciding. So, and I suppose I just did it because, you know, I had an interest in horses and I rode ponies and did all that when I was younger. So I was kind of in, invested in that in that racing industry, I suppose, as mm-hmm. well. Um, so that was a natural type of thing for me. And then when I got into it, I found that I was quite good at it. Um, so... I was a, a good nurse, I feel. You know, I was really efficient. What, what do you think made you a good nurse? Um, well, I was definitely taught by some of the best people in the country. You know, I learned the trade from the best. And it really not only taught me how to be a really good nurse, but it taught me everything. You know, a lot of things in life because, um, you know, I'm a great person in a crisis. <laughs> mm. um, you know, that type of response, you know, being able to respond mm. to... to crises and not panic and say this is what we're going to do this 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 get that 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 do you know what I mean mm-hmm. um so it did teach me that um so I did enjoy it and although I know we're talking about what causes mental health on this particular podcast but you know I feel like it's been quite negative like there are so many rewarding days um and it is the good days and the rewarding days and when you see them mm-hmm. go home um that do make it all worthwhile so it's I suppose trying to balance that with the fatigue and the compassion fatigue mm. and the burnout and the workload and luckily as well in equine you don't, you're not dealing with clients as much every day like yeah, yeah. I certainly didn't have to the, they were admitted to the hospital and then you looked after them and then the you know the, the you're probably going to get a groom or a stable hand bringing the horse the, in and well no but the managing partner would then go and just ring the owner and discuss the case like it wasn't mm. like you have in small animal practice where you're mm. You know, the nurse will meet you and you talk to them and then you, you they have to pay you and all that. Like yeah, I didn't yeah. didn't have to do any of that. So that also was a help. Like I had no interaction with the public. So <laughs> win all round. Yeah. So basically um, not having to deal with people is is great part. <laughs> it's great yeah. for your mental health. Yeah. And it's so it's so funny because in my last job, obviously, when I worked for an eventually pharmaceutical company, like I loved buzzing around the country, having the chats with everyone. You know, now, obviously, I ditched my job as well. But um, 
You're, you're a people person, just perhaps yeah, not a person. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I'm a people person. Yeah. So I'm genuinely interested, in, especially in veterinary, you know, and what people are doing and why and mm. what's new and what's going on and how people are coping, I suppose. Mm. So, yeah, but I mean, I, I am concerned for the future of veterinary in Ireland. You know, it's not in a crisis, but I definitely think steps need to be taken. You know, I don't, there's no nobody implementing any steps, you know, or there's no, yeah. you know, there's no research being done. Um, so yeah, well, why do you I think that is? Which, as I said, you, you couldn't find much on it. I, I found a few stats from Britain um, and 75% of vet students versus 41% of the public wouldn't want anyone to know they had a mental health issue and almost 40% experienced suicidal thoughts. And then obviously we have the, you know, four times greater than the, than the general public. Yeah. Why do you think that, well, you that see, research is lacking there? Is it just Ireland kind of being behind well, the trend? And it's not. I mean, the, the research is there. It just doesn't. It, it, nobody from Ireland has ever been <laughs> researched. So mm. the research exists within the profession, but in countries outside of Ireland. And again, I think our we're we're quite unique in Ireland. You know, in in everything. You know, in our culture and um, our farming system is very unique and. You know, our attitude to animals is quite unique as well. So, um, in what in what way, Michelle? In what way are we unique in those in those aspects? Well, I suppose we are. You know, we're progressing at time. Like the UK, I guess, would have a huge. It has a huge population, but it would have a huge, you know, pet population, and it would have a huge, like, happy hacker population, which would be, you know, people who have a pleasure horse for going out for a hack and that type of thing. Mm. We would have a lot the, less. The of Jennifers, that in my cousin called them. My, my cousin yeah. works in a horse. They're the, they're the little Jennifers yeah. that has their pony at the weekend. Like there would be practices in the UK, equine practices, who would deal only with pleasure horses, and that would never be heard of in Ireland, really. Mm. You know. Um, they would certainly have a lot of them and they would have show jumpers and things, but they would all definitely then have, um, you know, there'd be racehorses or there'd be some industry within it. So I think, you know, as time goes on, we might might have more of that. So we still have a lot of our animal industry is, is productivity and it's an industry, mm. it's a business. So that would be the equine and the food animal producing. And then the companion animal is growing as well. I mean, 20 years ago, who had a pet cat in Ireland called, you know, that lived in their house and didn't go outside or, called you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Called Obi-Wan Kenobi. I mean, I hated <laughs> cats. Do you know what I mean? Like, That's I remember, Michelle's cat's name. I swear to God. I, I, I remember being little and there was this cat that like used to roam around the village and had like some weird growth in its head. I remember saying to my dad, I was, really little, I was like, I think you should shoot that cat. Imagine. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> Oh my god. You only get into vets to put them down for yeah. fuck's sake. <laughs> I just I was never a lover of cats and then last year, sure well my dog died a few years ago and then you know I lived by myself and obviously I was on the road a lot, so someone in a practice said to me, Oh, we've got this cat we're not taking and I was like, No, hey, don't buzz up cats and then they're like, Oh no, have a look at him and then I was like, No, don't show me and then they're like, Do you know what his name is? And I was like, go on. And they were like, Obi. So I went home then, right? And I was thinking about this for ages. I was going, maybe I could get it, you know. Whatever. So I was just thinking, going through the pros and cons in my head. And then I said, his name is Obi. I was like, Obi-Wan Kenobi. He was meant to be my cat. <laughs> <laughs> and my sister said the same thing. I'm a big Star Wars fan if you didn't you're, get you're that. You're a big nerd, aren't you, Michelle? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah, we're changing. And, I mean, pedigree cats, you know, are a big thing now in Ireland. So... You know, veterinary will grow and become better mm. and our welfare will become better and we'll have to be better. But, the, the, you know, you, you worked echoing. There was a shift during the boom where we had lots of the Jennifers getting the ponies and getting, 
getting the weekend horse and stuff. What happened then with the crash? What happens in those situations? Um, again, I don't have much experience of the pleasure horse people, but certainly mm-hmm. race horses was a huge issue. Uh, during the boom, you know, there was lots of, we'll say, builders and, you know, people who got into syndicates for the pleasure horse and did all that type of stuff. And mm-hmm. um, that business wasn't there anymore. So those horses, you know, people maybe had to breed less. Um, the welfare institutions would probably tell you, the ICPCA, that they ended up with a lot of them um, as well. And some would probably just be put down or sent to the factory. Mm, That's mm. the reality of it. So, yeah, but I suppose we just need to, I think, like everything else, there needs to be more awareness and less um, stigma. And that goes for veterinary and everywhere. Um, And I I understand that myself. I mean, I didn't tell a single solitary soul, you know, for ages. I I don't know what it is. I was so afraid. I was like, no, people will think I'm mental or, Mm. well, it was mental, but like, you know, (laughs) but I'm still me. Like, I can still function. (laughs) I'm not going to break. Like, but... um, did, did well obviously you've, you've spoken about it here now did, did, what was the response when you did tell people you said people were kind of like oh me too or? I was really surprised especially the amount of people because I like one thing one of the things that kind of was the, the stepping stone for me in my own mental health was um, I felt like I had a specific set of symptoms well you know like I I was suffering from severe fatigue like there were days where I physically could not get out of bed right for mm. a long period of time mm. And it was almost like once I stopped, I once I realized there's something wrong. And when my doctor was like, that is it. No work. You need to stop. That mm. once I just stopped, I was like, crashed. crashed so yeah, badly. Yeah. And I, But I thought that that was me. Like, I didn't think that that went with anxiety or whatever. Mm. Um, and I read uh, in a magazine or somewhere like online, this woman's account of how she had you know, it was the same as me. She couldn't eat and she couldn't sleep and she was just suffering with lots of emotional trauma and she got to the point where she was so bad that she couldn't get out of bed. And I was like, oh my God. And it was the first time I was like, that's not me. Now, because I mean, like, it wasn't that I was just so sleepy or I didn't want to get out of bed. Mm. I physically could not. Like, I was, mm. my legs did not work. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And Were, were you depressed, um, Michelle? Or Well, I mean, a lot of stuff had gone on. Like I had like, you know, two of my friends died and it was just a really traumatic year. You know, I checked into the Heartbreak Hotel and, you know, there was it was Anis Horablis, as they say. But I was just buzzing around trying to do my job and I thought being busier would be better. (laughs) And it wasn't the fact that I don't have sense to know to look after myself. Mm. But genuinely, I thought tomorrow will be better. You know, I'll be Mm. like, I'll be able to eat tomorrow. I'll be able to eat more tomorrow. I'm so tired now. I'll definitely sleep tomorrow, you know, but that tomorrow turned into months mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, so the hamster wheel. yeah, I really did. But it was that, it was like that. It was reading that one article and that woman's whole set of symptoms were so similar to mine that I was like, oh, it's grand. Sure. It does happen to someone else. And I know <laughs> you hear people saying it all the time, yeah. but that is actually what it was for me. And that really helped me get back on track. And like, I'm by no means cured. Like I'm still taking a ball of medication every day. But Mm. um, I also wrote for the Vet Space Journal on our website about Mm. myself there. What was that like to put that out there? Terrifying. I mean, I spent all day, um, I wrote it and then I sent it to Hazel. 
and she was like so upset reading it and then she's like I think we really think it's really important to share it she said but I think it needs to be edited because it was very personal so mm. she said you know it was so such an honest account but she said I don't think we'll help anyone by making them feel the devastation you know so I was like well it's obviously very well written then <laughs> <I thought>. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll write a book no and uh, so she said it needs to be edited so I sent it to my friend Alex and she um I said look can you edit this I don't know if we're going to put it up yet but we'll see so I was literally teetering all day so she edited it took out some of the really hard to read bits made it a bit more um, palatable for the public, as they say. And um, she said, look, I think it's really good and I think it's really worth sharing. And if it helps one person. And that's kind of what my mom said to me back in January. I was like, oh, what are we doing? I'm so scared. And she's like, if you help one person. I was mm. like, done, Dunsky, so worth it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and when I put that out, I was so terrified. I said to Alex, I said, I'm going to decide at the last minute. And all day I was like, no, 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 cancel it. Call it off, call it off. And then I was like, okay, no, okay, let's just do it. And then when it was out there, I was kind of terrified. But so many people um, messaged me and they were like, you know, it's so brave. And thank you for sharing that. And I've been through the same thing. And the more people that share their experiences, um, you know, um, as one person said to me, they were like, it's so brave for you to share that because it shows they're like, people can see you there on your vet space Instagram or your own Instagram. And you're like, oh, look, she's a regular person, but <laughs> it happens to regular people, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I was like, yeah, no, that's the point. Exactly. Like mental people aren't there sharing pictures of themselves in a straight jacket on Instagram. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know we spoke I mean? about that before on the podcast. All right. You know, Alan pointed yeah. out that, you know, you're taking holiday pictures and there you are with the kids and the sun is shining in the background. But yeah. five minutes later, you don't see the argument. Yeah. <laughs> you know you're I mean? crying into your cup of tea. <laughs> exactly. Like I just stubbed your toe. <laughs> <laughs> no. Like, you, yeah, you, I know. You, you mentioned your own, your own experience of counseling. Obviously I sit on the other side of it, Michelle, mm. but you know, for people, People that um, haven't experienced therapy, and of course, I have myself as part of my training. Um, what was your experience of therapy like? I was skeptical initially because I felt that I am open, you know, and I thought mm -hmm. in my mind, you know, although I'm fairly clever, like you know, I was, I like, I knew. I had an idea of what it does and how it works through things. But I thought I maybe I was naive in my thought that counseling was more for people who um, are not good at talking or sharing their feelings, you know, because mm, yeah. um, I'm like, I'm well able to talk like I can ring someone up there and say, this is what's wrong with me or this is how I'm feeling. <laughs> but I hate act, people like you, Michelle, because they yeah. come in thinking they're so open and they know yeah, everything, but they're not. That they're so resistant. Yeah. Then. <laughs> no, no, I'm but so like, self-aware. <laughs> yeah, I, but I realized that in actual fact, I had um, developed this mechanism for years where I was, you know, to Michelle's. <laughs> Because I was like, on the days where I, like, I very, it actually turned out that although I'm self-aware of myself, I'm very closed with the people around me. So where I was, uh -huh. I'm, I am awesome at giving advice. Awesome. <laughs> Absolutely should have taken my own. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's so, it's almost like, I remember I, I, something was really, really bothering me. Um, in March and it was you know about myself and my intentions and why was I doing things and I started really kind of questioning everything I, I was doing and I was just having a bit of a day like I was 
crying for no reason and I was like oh for fuck's sake I must be getting my period or what's going on but like <laughs> it was just so overwhelming so I just had to ring up my friend and I said and this was the first time since you know I started counselling where something like that normally I would just be like squish a cat just beat that shit right down in that box and tomorrow <laughs> you'll be fine but I was like no this is clearly upsetting you so ring that person up and air it you know and like I was really nervous and this is one of my best friends and I was like but once I said it and I knew she was a good person to speak to mm. as well and she was like it's totally fine to feel like that that would be normal I would be surprised if you weren't feeling like that and that you doesn't make you a bad you. yeah she's like that doesn't make you a bad person and that's actually all I needed to hear you know and I was like mm. oh yeah I suppose it doesn't she's like you're not a bad person for that like that's totally fine like you've mm. been through so much you know other people would be feeling lots of other crazy things so she goes it's just a period in time and it's totally fine and that was the first time where I was like oh okay I need to make sure I'm doing that more so like I'm by no means like I'm still not great at doing it and I'm still learning all the time which I have mm. you know I have to learn and I need to get back to my counsellor because I haven't seen him all over COVID, but, mm. you know, what, it's what not do you find easy. Has, what, what do you find uh, has helped the most in counselling? That, you know, being able to identify that I'm, although I'm self-aware, I'm not able to, like, you know, self, um, you know, treat, like I'm not a psychiatrist, yeah, we, we, so we, I can't yeah, treat we myself. Have, we all have our blind spots. And, and we don't and know also, what we don't know. So I'm very hard on myself. So it was nice to have an independent person, you know, hear the stories of whatever I'd been through and why I was feeling mm, this mm. in certain ways and to say, uh, that's actually okay. That's not that bad, you know. I for me to go, really? But I feel like, you know, so, <clears throat> yeah, I'd be quite like, I would be very, very liberal, but I'd be very morally straight, if you know what I mean. Like, so like my internal values, I guess, if I go against them in any way. Yeah, I would have a very strong moral compass. So like I would rarely cross my own lines. Do you know what mm. I mean? Yeah, so that helped me definitely with the counselling and just talking it through. And like I was going to a psychotherapist like yourself. So I found that, you know, an experience where I'd become really overcome with emotion and I'd like start crying and I'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You know, like, mm. oh, excuse me. <laughs> she's like grab a hold yeah, of yourself yeah, Michelle yeah. do you know and then my can't my can't be like please stop that please just let stop it happen and I was like no no absolutely no need for that at all <laughs> that was you putting up your shield again Michelle was it yeah here's me going oh my goodness me how inappropriate <laughs> yeah. of you you know but you're <laughs> in let yourself down here Michelle. now look at you there having a big <laughs> snot fest <laughs> yeah so oh stop but no I, ha I did I found it really useful but I mean I'm not finished my counselling journey you know I need to go back it's only been put on hold because of Covid mm. so mm. um, yeah I don't know if my, I will be able to see my, my old counsellor again or if I'm going to have to find someone new but either way you know I need to to do it especially now I'd be in a higher risk period now you know starting a new job and mm, changing mm, and mm. being away from home you know so but yeah being aware I think is definitely like I didn't that was another thing um when I was at the height of my mentalness like I was manic you know but I knew that I was struggling but I did not know how bad I was you know yeah. as you look and back now Michelle how, how bad you think oh, it was Jesus when I look back now <laughs> I don't know I how I've been alive Jesus <laughs> yeah I mean, gee, oh, lads, the days were tough. Oh, like how I got through some days, you know what I mean? Were, yeah, it was tough going out for a long time. Mm. What did you suffer um, from, Michelle, you mind me asking? 
Uh, well, anxiety, but I suppose it was trauma. Like a, a lot of kind of stuff went on in my life um, that was very difficult and it kind of mm-hmm. affected my whole life. So like affected my personal life, my professional life. And, and you know, I lost friends um, and it's just kind of one thing after another, you know. Okay. And I never really had any chance to get over it. So how I really knew I was in trouble was I started having panic attacks for absolutely no reason. Okay. Like the first time that happened to me, I was just like going about my business. The next thing I was like, <gasps> and I was like, oh, this is not fun. So, yeah, um, we spoke about panic attacks before on our episode about anxiety. And I was completely taken aback to hear that people who have panic attacks could end up in the hospital claiming they're having a heart yeah, attack. Yeah, a heart attack. I go, oh, like, mm-hmm. what, what, what's first time like? it happened to me, I was just horrendous. Like, I can't, I, I, I really can't just put it into words. Um. Yeah, it was really horrendous. But I think what, like, although it was really horrendous every time it happened, after the first one, I didn't feel as much like I was going to die, right? Mm. So I was like, I knew, like, get that Xanax in and I'd be fine. Um, (laughs) Because it actually happened to me one morning in a hotel with my friend after a night out. And probably because I'd been drinking or whatever and I was feeling sick. And it was the fact that I was... Tend to be through the roof, That I was... Like, I really needed to vomit, do you know what I mean? And, like, I just couldn't get sick. And that's what kind of brought it on me. And next thing I was, like, hyperventilating. And my friend was there and she was freaking out then because she could see me freaking out. (laughs) And then I said, just get the Xanax out of my bag. So she got the Xanax. And she was, like, giving me one. And I was like, two, right? So she gave me two. So, like, then she had to ring my mom. Um, so I'm like in the bed off my nut, you know, and she had to ring my mom. It was so funny. And she's like, oh, is she okay? And she's like, yeah, no, she's fine. She's probably not going to be able to drive home or whatever. So then she phoned my sister who happened to be around the corner working. So my sister came up to the hotel and she was like all panicked then. And I was lying. It was so funny because I was like lying in the bed and I was grand. You know, that everyone else <laughs> seemed to be worse. I was like, right. you know, when you're there, I seem to be the only one thinking logically. And then my sister worked in a pharmacy and she was on the phone to the pharmacist. And I could just hear the pharmacist saying, oh, well, if she's been drinking now and she's taken two Xanax, mm-hmm. maybe she could get an ambulance just to be safe. And I was mm-hmm. lying in the bed going, if someone rings an ambulance, I'm going to go fucking mental. Right? <laughs> or like, mental. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm absolutely grand. Sure, I'm sleeping it off here. Like, oh, that was stressing me out even more I was like looking at my sister going you know but I was fine I guess they were just trying to be cautious because I'd been drinking the night before but like that again was like you know I was that was maybe the second or third panic attack but I hadn't had one for ages and I thought I was skipped to do cured you know and next mm-hmm. thing this happens and then like I was lying in the bed anyway and like my mum came down and brought tracksuit and everything and I was there you know Naomi my friend Naomi was like pulling back the covers and she went to put my socks on and I was like oh mate I'm sure I can put my own I was like that's it it's a low point now <laughs> someone's trying to put socks on me like for fuck's sake <laughs> I was like Expecting the door to open with the buddy with the little straight jacket going, here you go, we're ready. But like humor, but I, I mean, I thought it was still gas at the time. I was like, how fucking mental is this? You're off your fucking head, that's why. (laughs) Whacked out with half drunk and fucking sucking down two Xanax. (laughs) Yeah, grand, class, what is stressful? I was like, this is nuts. Yeah, but no, I'd always be good with humour, though. I think it's the mm-hmm. cure-all of everything. You know? yeah, 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 I could yeah. always make fun sentiment. of my own, my own um, 
experiences but good yeah no so like it was a tough time but like and, and i don't feel like i'm i mean i feel 100 percent nowadays but mm. like i i'm aware now to be careful you know and to mind myself and guilt like guilt is an awful thing give yourself guilt for nothing like it's yeah it's, Sun is shining. I should be out walking. It's <laughs> like, an Irish no. thing, isn't it? Yeah, don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't feel like yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, the sunshine gives so much guilt to people in Ireland. It's horrendous, you know. <laughs> mm. I love getting up there in the sun and it's lashing. Should be out doing something. We should be at the beach. Should be, should be, Yeah, like it's I love so getting fucking up on rare, That's why. <laughs> yeah, and it's lashing. I'm like, oh, it's thank God, Sunday, and it's lashing. I can just lie on the couch with no guilt. No. Give yourself permission. On my day yeah. off. Permission like, to do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and how important is it, Michelle, to have people around you that's able to pull you to one side and go, uh, look, you're going a little bit off the rails. Maybe just ease back a little bit or anything <clears throat> like that. You know, or people that you know you trust. Um, I think it's really important. And that's probably a big issue for me. Like, my, that was probably one of the factors. Like, I do lead quite a solitary life, you know. So mm. I all within two or three years I went from working in an office with lots of people um, to having a housemate to living by myself to working by myself so my job was on the road so I was home based so I was out in the car all day by myself or staying in hotels by myself and then at home by myself so Mm -hmm. it was quite like I didn't feel like it was an issue because I quite liked my own company but that was something that my counsellor maybe highlighted she said just because you enjoy your own company doesn't mean that it's good for you you know what I mean all the time (laughs) and like isolation it's alright if you enjoy your company and it's by choice instead of yeah but like but it is but like I don't want to be yeah well that's it you know and that's the thing but he said you know that in itself he goes even if when you were used to coming home to someone like how was your day you know he said like that's a big thing and Mm. I'm like yeah I suppose like I don't consciously feel like it affects me you know I never felt like I would want someone you know or oh I need to rent out my spare room again or something like no Mm. (laughs) but um you know I guess it was maybe something that my counselor had highlighted to me and when the the iller I got I suppose the less I saw people because I was so wrecked and Mm. so I did Mm. notice that I had cut out maybe once or twice a week I would have always gone to see my sister and my niece and nephew and I was doing that a lot less because I just wasn't able but then when I looked back at it I realized I had actually cut out lots of things so you know now I'm aware Sometimes I might be like, God, I haven't seen a sinner now <laughs> no, for a week, you know? So I'd be like, right, yeah. I better get in the car and go and see someone <laughs> like, you know what I mean? But just the awareness um, to know, okay, I, I need human contact here. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, it. You, you mentioned I, like, the isolation I, and, yeah. um, you know, that can be a big, a big, big problem for a lot of vets, you know, particularly large animal vets. You know, you're on call, you might be out, you're living in a rural community, yeah, working on a farm. The farmer he's away with the rest of the animals. You're tending to an animal on your own. Get a call. You're on. You're out to somewhere else. You know, and on and on, and on again. You're in the van or you're you're doing whatever. You know. Well, that's it. It's very isolating, and that's mm. you know the the problem. And Hazel and I were talking about that, and she was saying you know that one of the things she found you know with her Instagram account was because there's lots of farm animal vets on Instagram was a bit of a community you know for those mm. nights where you are sitting out in the van and you're waiting for the oh, farmer right. or whatever and. You know, you could post something and then there was other people would say, oh, yeah, same with me or, you know. So, again, that's what we're kind of working towards with Vet Space is creating a bit of community for this isolation or, mm. um, you know, that there are other people there. And you You're know. perhaps in a fortunate position being younger and having access to Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is, that there's something to occupy yourself. Do you, do you find that that may be where the, perhaps the older generation struggle that 
or is it, are they just accustomed to it? Do they just suck it up? Or I think that from everything I've read, um, it seems that in fact it's the younger vets that seem to be more affected rather than the mm. older generation. Um, but I think that's a, you know, I think again that goes across, you know, the general population. I think you know we're in a men- mental health is the greatest challenge to our health mm-hmm. um in general um you know when it was that's well documented it's i saw i was at the new scientist live last year and i saw a evolutionary anthropologist speaking she was talking about dads and the role of dads um throughout history and she said she always felt mm. that dads had got a bad rep and she was looking at she did her phd on it and she studied it over 30 years and she said you know in primitive times, you know, dad's role was to protect everyone. So they didn't have any role in the nurturing. And, mm. you know, as time went on, it became economic. Um, and, you know, whatever. We're, we, we're in Western world now. We're living in a time where, um, you know, if you're born and you don't have a job or an education, you're likely to survive anyway. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. You know, you, you have a high chance of surviving. But um, what her study found was that, now uh, they've shown that interaction with the dad, um, the more interaction a child has with their dad or something like if a child has a good interaction with their dad for 10 minutes a day, um, there were some statistics, I forget it now, there were 20% less likely to develop mental health issues yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. in later life, which I thought was really interesting. So I think for our generation, um, mental health is a huge issue. I don't know what younger generation are going to be like but and I think in Ireland as well where in my opinion I think I think our generation was probably the first generation in Ireland where despite means you could be whatever you wanted to be you know what I mean Mm. so there was you know my parents generation definitely you know it wasn't a case of anybody could be what they wanted to be you know Mm. what I mean um so I think there was a huge pressure put on our generation to go to college and get the nice car and the house and have the holidays and the 4.2 kids or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And um, and that, I remember being working in a mixed practice years ago and a farmer came into the desk to buy his medication or whatever. <clears throat> and he said, we were just chatting. And he said, Jesus, I'd hate to be a young person today, you know. <laughs> and I was like, why is that? And he goes, oh, geez, there's a wicked pressure on young people today. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, oh, wicked pressure. He was like, geez, all I had to do was work on the farm. I'm sure, if I got married, I got married. If I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> you know, this was it. But mm-hmm. it was the simplicity of what he said. And I was mm-hmm. like, he's so right. Yeah. He's like, oh, the pressure on young people today now to succeed is wicked. And I was like, yeah, you're actually right. Mm. Like, every, you have to go to college. You have to get a degree. You have yeah, to do this yeah, and yeah. get the mortgage. And, you know, so mm. maybe, you know, we're a product of that boom time. Um, oh, as well you know mm. so I do think that's had a huge detrimental effect mm. on our mental health you know we're all at that stage and we've got to come back around and say you know because I when I was younger like I would say to people now I'm not very ambitious you know what I mean but when I was younger I would have never said that I'd have <laughs> been like you know when I was in my early 20s they were like well, you're not ambitious you don't want to do further education do you not want to do something like <laughs> okay yeah, yeah maybe yeah. I do yeah, um yeah. But like, I'm not very career driven, you know, or I'm not, mm. like, as I said earlier, I wouldn't be motivated by money. But, um, and I, but now it's taken me to this age of my life to be able to say, well, actually, I'm not very ambitious and I want to 
do something with my time that hopefully makes a difference and mm. have enough money to pay my bills. Maybe yeah, go on one holiday a year. Yeah. Um, and I'm not afraid to say that anymore. Whereas I felt definitely 10 or 15 years ago, I would have been, I would have been like, oh yeah, I have to do this. And what are you doing next? I'm thinking about going back to college to do this. And I just felt like there was, there was a lot of pressure that we maybe didn't realize existed. Mm. Um, but looking back, you know. True, yeah. So I don't know if it's the same for 20-year-olds nowadays. I don't know if it's the same. I don't really know any 20-year-olds. Yeah, I need any of the ones I deal with in practice. Yeah, it's it's, it's probably worse again. Yeah, worse again probably. That pressure has to come from somewhere. It can come from within. It has to come from an external source of some place like your teachers or your your parents or your extended family or whatever. Mm. And funny enough, just before we started this podcast, I was talking to my dad and I was telling him that my my little one-year-old Loads of a Friday when the bin men come to collect the wheelie bins because this big <laughs> bin just reverses up the street mm-hmm. and it makes the beep, beep, beep noise. And they're throwing the big bins yeah, in yeah. and he goes run to the window and he's truck, truck, truck. And <laughs> my dad said, yeah, maybe he'll be a bin man when he grows up. And I said, to be honest, dad, I don't give a damn what he is. Healthy, happy, Once do whatever happy. he wants. I really don't mm-hmm. care. He's happy with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's what our generation have come to. Like we're like... I don't care if my son or daughter wants to, you know, dye his hair pink and run up the street, like once he's happy, you know, yeah, I think yeah, we're so yeah. conscious now of, of mental health. Mm. Mm. True indeed. Ca- yeah. Captain Ryan had a great, had a great comedy sketch of uh, when she was pregnant and she'd be saying to people, and you're like, oh, what, you know, people are saying to her, oh, what do you want? Do you want a boy? Do you want a girl? And of course we said, you know, what everyone says, oh, we don't care as long as the, as long as it's, and, they, and the whole, the whole audience go healthy. And she goes, no, gay. We don't care as long as it's not gay. (laughs) 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 Uh, I wanted to ask you, Michelle, about this phenomenon, I suppose it is, about um, dogs being kidnapped around the country. What do you know about that? Is is it a thing or is it scaremongering? The dog napping. No, no, no. It's it's definitely a thing. Yeah, yeah. It's a thing. Yeah, it's definitely a thing. Yeah. And I think COVID, since the beginning of COVID, there's been a huge surge in people wanting to buy pets. Um, it's deeply concerning. Um, I was only talking to a friend of mine. She's a vet and practice owner. And we're going to maybe see if we can come up with some kind of campaign, you know, from the veterinary side. Like, what can we do? Mm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, the market is there. Unfortunately, a lot of the dogs uh, that it's have been the market is resale, are being is exported. Oh, the market no. is sale. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So just stop buying dogs, people, please. And the other thing that's really concerning is come September now or November when kids start going back to school and um, parents start going back to work, the um, the charity organizations will be overrun. Dogs will be dumped. It's yeah, that's all yet to come. So it's pure demand. Wow. So yeah. it's it's just a resale thing, is it? So somebody uh, yeah. wants a certain breed or whatever, and they'll. I I've often seen the pictures on Facebook where they're marking walls uh, or outside houses to say, you know, there's dogs present here. I've heard that there yeah, are flying so drones just, over houses to see seeing. if there's kennels or dogs in the yeah. back garden. Or that's what it purely is. Like it's a it's a market market for dogs. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it went crazy. Sure, I mean. Done deal, thankfully, last week removed their dog sale ads. Mm, But if you looked at some of the dogs that you could have purchased, you know, this time last year for two or three hundred euro were going for sale for eleven, twelve hundred euro. My goodness. Wow. Yeah. But what does that do to the dog then? Because you have a dog that's taken out of its comfort zone. uh, to live with a family maybe for a few years. And all of a sudden it's gone from Claire to Donegal. 
to be with a completely different family and that person has gone to the child, yep, yeah, there you go, there's a dog for you. Like the dog, like it still has animal well, instincts I mean, in just... the sense that they will they will attack if they're they feel that they're threatened or um, their their environment has changed. But I'll be right in thinking that. Well, I mean, it's just the welfare. You don't really. I mean, we don't know where the dogs are. Um, <clears throat> you know, when they've been taken and what kind of conditions they've been kept in. Mm. Um, a lot of them are being transported up the north across the border and then into the UK. So it's it's basic welfare. We just don't know what's happening i assume the people that are willing to pay a lot of money for a dog will in fact look after it when they get it but it's mm. what happens in between that we don't know about um and unfortunately in ireland there's not enough of them being found now i did hear on the radio today that the is the dspca and the guards were out just doing checkpoints it's not that bad okay. they were just out wow. stopping yeah stopping people today um in vans um, or anything that looks suspicious and just checking. That's yeah. how bad it's gone. So the so Marlin story, the stop buying your dogs, stop buying dogs. Yeah, mm. sure. I mean, <clears throat> the sheer volume, I mean, everywhere you look now, people's dogs are being stolen. So I don't know if all the market is in Ireland. I mean, mm. at the end of the day, we don't have that many people, but there are 67 odd million people in the UK and all working from home and, mm. you know, and mm. not all, but... Yes, so I'd say Just a lot of gone the days when, the when good old cross border was guns and grenades. Like, <laughs> bring back the good Dogs. old days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's a bit of a crisis at the moment, and you know, breeders are selling puppies at five and six weeks old, which is not recommended. Not they or anything, yeah. And, yeah, until they're at least eight weeks old, mm. um, eight to ten weeks old. So they're just trying to get them out. Uh, you know, it's a horrific. Yeah. Yeah, we, the demand is so huge. So the moral of the story is don't you don't need a dog. Mm, you don't need yeah, a dog right yeah. now. We joked on the yeah. podcast before about, I was saying to Alan, that one of the things that really gets me is when you're on Facebook and you see there's a missing dog. And even if that dog is in Minnesota and somebody locally has shared <laughs> yeah. it, have you seen this dog? You <laughs> that, know what that's I mean? my ma, yeah. <laughs> that's the Bridgie special. <laughs> but I always think to myself, there's a story behind that dog. You know, there's, there's a small child who's missing the dog. There's, you know, an autistic child whose only friend is that dog. Or there's an elderly person who yeah. lives with nobody but that dog. You know, what I really struggle with is the mentality of somebody who can steal a dog and then go back yeah. to their family and look their wives and kids in the eyes. Like, that's well, horrendous. Like, when mean, you think of the damage, like... People do lot, a lot worse things than just stealing dogs. Do you know yeah, what I, mean? I was so, just thinking that. And I'm definitely <laughs> you, you not going You clearly haven't heard that. the fucking yeah. stories I've heard people. People doing yeah, that to people. Yeah, there's... You know, it's it's still affecting no, the life of somebody. I mean, they, you know, mm-hmm. you try tell a child that your dog is gone. Like, mm-hmm. that's heartbreaking to a parent mm-hmm. and yeah. a child. You know yeah. what I mean? Never mind that, but I just don't... Well, I, 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 I bawled my eyes out when I had to get rid of my dog because of James's asthma. Like, mm. bawled my eyes out. Yeah, and she was going that. to a good home. You know, she literally yeah. went to the farm. She went to live on a farm where mm. she's loved and has the, yeah. the run, literally the run of a farm. But I bawled my eyes out. I mean, they're such good companions. Like, I... Mm don't have my cat with me during the week because my landlord decided I couldn't have him um, after he decided I could. Um, and like, I'm really missing him. Like he's been a little bit of an emotional support buddy for me mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. I got him. Great you know? companionship. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think it definitely, he definitely, I think I got him at the right time because I think the universe conspired, you know, because, um, <laughs> or the force, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because, <laughs> because um, he was 
a great thing for when I was really ill, you know, because I still had to get up and feed him and look after yeah, him every yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. So that was a really, you know, good thing uh, for me at the time to have. So, yeah, mm. they're, um, they're great, our pets. I have a question, Michelle. You often see mm-hmm. in gangster films, you know, if somebody gets shot or stabbed, <laughs> they're brought to a vet. Is it true that vets can operate on humans as well as animals? Um, anybody could. <laughs> and organs and organs, like, like if, a stitch is Yeah, a stitch. if they had to, I'm sure they could. Like if, you're, if, you, if you happen to get shot in a drive-by and the nearest place you can get to is a vet, like... I would go I would it. definitely go there, yeah. yeah. You know what to They're do now, Pete. There yeah. we go. A better <laughs> chance of saving kick you. Off. <laughs> yeah. The industry's here in Mullingar. <laughs> yeah. They will uh, probably be able to save your life. Yeah. Mm. There you go, folks. So, yeah. the more you know. To the vet. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> probably get a fucking better care than you would in the <laughs> by the HSE anyway. <laughs> Can I just say lastly, though, fair play to you lads and well done. I listened to the show Um all the time and it's really good and it's great there was actually one or two where I had to switch off <laughs> only because it was a bit traumatizing for me or it was um you know I was experiencing something mm, I was like mm. oh I'm not gonna listen to that now because I'm not able to go there today oh. but um but that means that it's it's effective you know that what you're doing is highly effective and that's because you know I have my own issues but okay. so please keep up the good work it's really it's class thanks so much Michelle. Oh, cheers, Michelle. and more more of it yeah so thank oh, you that's so brilliant much. thank you so much we will leave it there that is Michelle from thanks, Vetspace guys. Ireland and uh, Vetspace Ireland podcast as well and uh, thanks Michelle for being so open as you said you read a story about somebody and that helped you and you put up your own yeah. story and that helped so many people as well so hopefully in turn we get to help more people and just break this bloody stigma that's around mental health and talk yeah. openly about it so thanks very much Michelle uh, thanks guys so that was straight talking work life and uh, we wanted to explore a little bit more about um workplaces the effect on your mental health so you know if you want to talk about the effect of your workplace and your mental health or if there's any sort of profession you want us to cover please do get in touch we would love to hear from you straight talking podcast at gmail.com you can get us on facebook and of course you can get us on twitter as well a uh, big shout out to fiona brian as well for the podcast music what a deadly producer what a deadly beat maker get in touch with him you can find him on facebook at fob beats he's got more hits than cypress hills bong so get in touch with him yeah. because the dude, is, the dude is decent. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Alan Clark, our resident psychotherapist. Last word with you, my man. Ah, you should have got Michelle to do this. You're fucking me under the bus, man. I was just enjoying talking to her. Last word with Michelle so on that one. I mean, you can't be what you don't see. Mental health. Mental health. Mental health.